Boom, put boom, boom, side, B side, what side are you on? <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of A side, B side podcast. How's it going, Adam? I am well, Brooke. I am well. Uh, it's been a fun weekend. It is beautiful outside. Uh, I watched a lot of fun stuff and I am excited to talk about death. In a bit. Yes. Okay. So I heard something really <laughs> cool. Did you just yas? Yeah. Yas to death. Yas. Yas, queen. <laughs> yas to catching criminals. Um. <laughs> so I heard this really interesting stat. Like, apparently, there's like over a million podcasts or something, but like the like a good 50% or something never make it past like 37 episodes. I was like, we are doing something, man. Well, to be fair, like that is the, I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a weird turn here, but the weird, not so much weird, but like the social joke is that if you're a white guy, you got a podcast, <laughs> right? Yes. And isn't it remotely surprising that white guys can't get through half a year in commitment? No, I no, mean, it's you not. Know, I'm just saying. like, I would, if I was doing this by myself, I would not have made it this long. I'm only, we're only on episode 96, 97, mm-hmm. 96. We're only this long because I have a exceptional partner who has helped me to the fire when I don't want to do things. <laughs> and like, that's how things work. So it does not shock me that a bunch of people were like, oh, we'll start a podcast. And they got to like episode four and they quit because if episode 36 is the mean or the median or like, I don't understand math, but if like that is the halfway point, that means that there are so many people that are so far about like thousands of episodes. And we know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. That most people start a podcast and doesn't get past three or two or one because mm-hmm. it is way harder than you expect. It is not hard for me because I just show up like once a week and I talk, talk to one of my best friends for like three hours that she edits it all together and makes it make sense. So for me, it's super easy, but I can understand for a lot of people it's not that easy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, before you get into your shows, I have a funny, since we do talk about crime here, but this is like a funny crime, and it just shows that criminals are stupid. Criminals are dumb. Like, we commit, we commit crimes, and we're bad at it. Criminals be real dumb. So, 21-year-old guy in Texas decides after he gets into a fight with his girlfriend that he wants to go smash some stuff, and he breaks into an art museum, and he smashes five million dollars worth of stuff he smashed that's not good no so he smashed two ancient greek artifacts one was a vase and one was like a a, um a pot and together they were valued at like five million dollars and he smashed a couple of other things so um homeboy's going to prison oh you know you know who's coming for him not Moon Knight's coming for him. Moon Knight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you broke some Egyptian artifacts. Mm, sorry, buddy. <laughs> you're you're going to end up dead on the like an ethereal plate. Like you'll be you'll be alive here for a little bit. Eh, not so much. But yeah, homeboy's going to prison. And I mean, it's not like you can be tough like in prison. Like, what'd you do? I broke some pottery. 
Yeah. Uh, I just really hate antiquities and I broke them. I'm like, okay, buddy. Cool. I was mad. This at guy my murdered four people because they looked at them. So, yeah. well, you know, what did the pot do? It looked at me. Oh, <laughs> no, it didn't. It's a pot. You're gonna know, you're gonna need to go do dishes and also understand that like you're never going to have the social hierarchy here that you need. Yeah, but yeah, just because his girlfriend was mad at him, or they got into a fight, he decided he needed to break some stuff. Break. I like. I understand like breaking stuff is therapeutic, and also like the the smash rooms were a thing for a little bit but then lawyers were like this isn't safe so they're not doing it anymore but i feel like we need a place for that because yeah, it's not a museum like, not a museum like go to like a random industrial park where they have like three escape rooms and like somebody's throwing axes and they have this one room where they just like the stuff they don't want anymore you can break give them 20 dollars and break the shit yes 100 do that that's better I also have to bring up a, a weird, awkward uh, moment we've had this week where you texted me and was like, how close is Brooklyn Park to you? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I mean, not that far, like 15 minutes by driving. And you're like, oh, OK. And I'm like, what happened in Brooklyn Park? Then I li- and then I was like, here are the two things that I think about. And then none of them were that. So. Brooklyn Park is just north of Minneapolis. <laughs> and there was a guy who got shot while driving in Minneapolis and drove to Brooklyn Park to call the cops because he did not want Minneapolis cops to show up. Which, which is in and terrifying. Of itself, terrifying, but also completely understandable after the last year. Yes. Where, like, it is not out of the realm of possibility that Minneapolis cop would show up and they would hear shots fired and this guy is in the car having been shot without a gun and they might shoot him. So he drove to a suburb to call the cops and being like, hey, I got shot. I'm in the suburbs. I hope you guys won't shoot me. Also in that same suburb. uh, So messed up. But that's that's where we're at as a metro at this point. If you get shot in, in in Minneapolis or St. Paul, you drive to the suburbs because hopefully they won't shoot you there because you mentioned guns. Also in Brooklyn Park this week, there's a neighborhood that has had their water main break twice in the last month. And their basements have been flooded and then flooded again. And finally, the city's like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you some money for that. Sorry about that. How does a water main in the same neighborhood break twice? In six weeks. I, that's terrible. So I was like, it's got to be one of these two stories. Yeah. So I said both. Not. It was not. It was nothing remotely even serious. And you're like, is it this or is it this? And I was like, no, it's just Taco Bell. <laughs> and the best part is that my mom. So I, I spent the last four days with my folks in Wisconsin at the lake. It was amazing. Very nice to get away from reality for a bit. My mom's like, hey, your cousin shared this thing that's happening in Kansas about Taco Bell. And I'm like, okay. She's like, yeah, it's like this Taco Bell that is two stories on the top. So like you just drive it like you're a bank and you you get your food delivered to you right away. And I was like, I was like, mom, are we sure that's in Kansas? And she's like, yeah, your your cousin posted. I was like, okay. Then I pull up an article. I was like, well, there's also one in Minnesota. And the best part is that I went back to Facebook and... The person who had posted it 
God bless their soul. Posted <laughs> from a a Kansas City newspaper, so assumed, they assumed it was in Kansas. Oh. But they they live in Colorado, and then their sister in law called them out and says like, "No, nah, this this the article actually says it's happening in Minnesota." It's in Minnesota, I was in like, Brooklyn Park. like yeah. which is so weird because like, why Minnesota? Oh, I all guess of, like all the places to start, right? Well, but I mean, like we're super into driving because it's cold, like twelve months out of the year here, so it makes sense. But the fact that you like you drive up to the like it's a bank driving, like the, like the the kitchen's above. And there's four drive-in levels. You drive in, you scan a code, and then your food just drops down. Which just is like the bank. I mean, it's really it's, neat. It's really neat, but also I mean, like like super impersonal and 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 maybe a little messy. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, depends on what you order. Is the Baja Blast going to be Baja Blasted by the time it gets to the end of the, the two? It just I seems like I'm hoping they have this all figured out so that when you open it, it's not just a complete disaster. I, I do think that, so they mentioned that one of the reasons for this is that they have so many DoorDash, Uber Eats, like, um, what's the other? Uh, Grubhub orders. Mm-hmm. And so these guys can roll up in their car because they don't want to get out of the car and they just scan a code and they get the food right away. Which for that, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Because working in a restaurant for the last year, the delivery driver guys are aggressively not friendly. Right. They'll walk in and they'll hold the phone up. They'll be like, I need this. And we're like, okay, dude, it is 5 p.m. on a Friday. So you're going to get that. It's not going to happen now. It's probably going to be 20 minutes. So you need to stand outside. And then every 30 seconds, they're coming back. I need this. Like, yeah, we told you. It's probably going to be 30 minutes. So go outside and stand there. And they don't. And they get so angry. And they're like, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not trying to cost you money, buddy. But, like, we have to make the food. If, if we just give you cold food and you deliver it, then you're going to lose the money. So don't you right. want hot food? You would think. <clears throat> you would think. But they're all like, no, I need the money right now. I need the food. I have to get so many more orders. They're all, they all sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well. <laughs> Give me the food. Get to the chopper. So what did you watch this week? I watched... Uh, a lot of NCIS because I was at the cabin with my folks, and uh, I also watched Bosch for the first time. And it was oh, the new season, okay. the new season of Bosch, which is now on Freeview, which used to be IMDb, uh, which was really good. Uh, my folks tried to watch an episode of uh, Ozark mm-hmm. while I was working on my computer, and that did not work. So I had to go downstairs and work on my computer because. Everyone has told me how good Ozark is. Mm-hmm. I watched half of an episode and I don't know that the writers understand that there are words other than fuck. I mean, are there though? Really? There are. There are so many words other than fuck. Like if you have to use fuck every third word, you're not actually trying as a writer. Okay. No, 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 no. But you have to realize that there are people that talk like that. There are. But I don't 
I think it's an interesting dialogue. So you jumped into the last season mid episode, and you're yes. judging the you're judging the series. I'm a middle aged white guy. Is what I do. Yes, one hundred percent. I'm gonna judge some stuff, but I like honestly, you didn't have to like. And I'm not saying this as somebody who who doesn't like swear words. Like swear words are fine, but like when you misuse something, it's like just like when you say love too much, it loses all meaning. When you say fuck every third word, now when you say fuck, it doesn't mean anything. Are you telling me that legitimately you have never talked to someone that talks like that? I have not. I have. You have a much more diversified experience in life. And I I know that I do not have a very diversified experience in life. I grew up very sheltered. uh, Like, I don't think I swore until I was 16. And I think it has nothing to do with growing up. It has just to do with like traveling which you have done. Well, yeah, I, I've traveled, but I've, I've never, I've never met somebody who needed to swear every other word. You know what? I'm going to call BS on you because we have worked with someone that did. Okay. No. Who? What? Uh-huh. Yeah. This might have to be an off, off conversation, but who? Um, it was the traffic person. She didn't swear that much. Yes, she did. Really? Yes, she did. I guess I guess I blocked it out then. Like I understand, like I swear more than normal person. Or at least in my experience of normal food. Like I just spent four days with my parents at the lake and no one swore at all. And at one point, like the the boat died and we're towing the boat, and I'm trying to figure out how to get the boat into the dock. And I couldn't swear, so I said some like nonsense, like fumble jumble, because <laughs> I was <laughs> farming nougat. Like, yes, I knew, like, I'm in this context, I could not swear. I did not feel comfortable swearing. Fumble jumble, <laughs> fumble jumble. And like, it was, it was a bad moment. Like, the boat is going sideways into the dock, and it has no power. And I'm th- trying to throw the f- freaking rope. And like, I literally, and no one, no one cared when I yelled out. I was like, I threw the rope. It didn't reach my father. And my uncle laughs and I just yelled, I'm a theater major. Like, no one cares at that point. <laughs> like, you can't always fall back on that, Adam. You just need to figure out how to throw the rope. Because right now the boat is sliding into the dock and everything's going to be broken. But no, uh-huh. I don't. I do not know anybody that has to swear every every sentence. Okay. But aside from that, you so that's your entire judgment because of the swearing. I, I like we watched maybe 20 minutes of it and I was working on my computer and I then like I did the passive aggressive thing. I put my headphones on and my dad saw, saw me put the headphones on and he switched to Bosch. <laughs> He's just like, is this too much? I'm like, I'm fine. And I put my headphones on and he was like, oh, Adam, okay. if my mom can watch it and appreciate it, then you need to chill out. Well, no, I just, it was a lot. Like my first exposure, it was like, F you and F this. I'm like, what are we doing right 
No, it's just like a Kevin Smith movie from 1996. These like, are people that live in like the Ozarks. I've been, I've, I've been to the Ozarks. No one in the Ozarks swears that much. All right. That's what like bothered me the most. It's like I've spent a lot of time in the Ozarks in Southern Missouri, Northern, like Northwestern Wisconsin. And those people do not swear like that. So aside from that, you actually should start from the beginning and actually give it a chance because it is a very I, should, I should I should I love Justin Bateman. Jason Bateman. I, I was gonna let it go. I was gonna let so, it go. I'm so bad with names. Like we should change the name of this podcast to the A the, the B side. Adam doesn't know anybody's name side. Justine is the sister. So yes. maybe that's where you were coming from instead of Justin, you're giving me way too much credit. Probably I love, so. I love you. For, I love you for trying to give me an out, but I'm not going to say it. I was just wrong. <laughs> oh man! All right. <clears throat> if y'all want like the outtakes on like YouTube or something, just send us messages. We'll send you the outtakes. It's not safe for work. <laughs> um, real quick. Um, let's see, what did I watch? Oh, ha- okay. So did you ever watch Designing Women? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. So Jean Smart, you know, she was Charlene on there. She was also yeah. the, the mom on, um, Mayor of Easttown. Yep. Okay. And they made her look so different. Well, she yeah. has a show on HBO and is called Hacks. And so she's oh. basically like a stand-up comic. Like she's been a stand-up comic for years, a female stand-up comic, which, you know, coming up in that era where it was, there were no female comics. She's like a trailblazer. And um, she's like trying to revitalize. She has like a, a residency in Vegas and she's like trying to like revitalize her act and stuff. It is so good and so funny. Now, it's had a couple seasons now too, right? Yeah, the second season just dropped. I feel like, so many things came out post pandemic and I don't know if they were new or they were pre-recorded or if they were like delayed, but it felt like last year there were so many things that came out and we did like, I think some of them got lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see that Brett Goldstein talked about the third season of Ted Lasso? Yeah, they're they're already they're they're managing expectations. It's going to be the last season. Yeah, and uh, they're not saying it's the last season, but they are giving every indication that it will. No, he said he said it is, and he said spoiler alert: everybody dies. <laughs> right, which is also managing expectations because there's no way everybody dies. I know, but it's pretty funny. Oh my goodness <laughs> this this cast is ridiculous. On for uh, I'm sorry, hacks. Yeah. You've got uh, Lori Metcalf from um, Roseanne, mm-hmm. Ming-Na Wen, mm-hmm. uh, Margaret Cho, mm-hmm. Devon Sawa, who was like the it guy from Idle Hands in early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is, this is You've got, really um, what's her name that's on It's Always Sunny in Oh, yeah. Um, Philadelphia. Uh, the, one of the one of the main characters, uh, Olsen Caitlin Olson. Yeah. yeah. But not, not one of the Olsons, but, but an Olson. Right. So it's this a very funny show. I mean, it is really funny. Yeah. And some of yeah. the, some, and um, John Sibley, uh, Sibley, Sibley, 
he okay on tiktok there was a trend that went really viral because he was watching a little person he was like watching a kid dance or something like that and he was like um show them girl bow 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 whatever his sound went viral he's in it and he's really good too and i have done a lot of stupid things in my life Mm -hmm. which but the hardest thing that i like i've been in front of thousands of people performing something the hardest thing that i've ever done on stage or maybe off stage is stand-up comedy Mm-hmm. it is not easy. Like you think you're a funny person. You think you got jokes and then you go up there and you are on an Island with a spotlight and a mic and everything that you ever thought was funny is suddenly out of your brain. And you're just this guy standing up there with a complete blank idea. I don't know how they do it every time, how they come up with funny, st- like new stuff. Mm-hmm. All like that is amazing to me. I th- I think I'm funny. I'm funny in situational. I am funny in like improv. I could deliver a line, but you throw me on stage with a light and you tell me to be funny. Not tell me to like do an after dinner speech. Sure, you want a speech about describing something? Cool. You want me to like introduce somebody I've never met? I can do that. Telling a joke on a spotlight on a stage is an entirely different world yeah and i don't think they give enough they get enough credit for having the ability and also just the the no give a fuck to do it well and what i out there what i really liked about this show is it shows a lot of that behind the scenes process and a lot of like what does it take to build a set and stuff like that? Like it kind of does give you an appreciation and the fact that she's a female doing this. is so cool. Which in and of itself brings an entirely different dynamic to it. Well, Mm -hmm. probably layers of dynamic because as a cisgendered white male, I can walk on stage and I've got a few jokes I can tell that are not going to really offend anybody, but also I get to offend people in a different way than somebody can mm-hmm. who's not a cisgender white man so i highly recommend hacks it's funny i binged it the episodes are like 30 minutes long i mean it's not going to take you long to get oh through. wow so it's, it's like sitcom level so it's like yeah length at least uh-huh that's good yeah anyway all right so this week it's 96 you know what that means i means i gotta go first I'm excited about this. I've actually been thinking about this for a few days, um, <laughs> which ironically, that's a weird thing to say because we do this every week. So of course I've been thinking about it for a few months. <laughs> and I, I'm going to like cut up on a weird vein here. Okay. Um, as, I, as I do. I am 41 and a half, almost. Uh, and I have, after COVID, been dipping my toe back into the dating pool. And that is in and of itself fraught with peril. And sometimes you have really good conversations with people that don't really lead anywhere, but they remind you of something that you love that you have to go back and look at. So I had this really nice first date where at some point in the first date, we talked about how much we both loved 
the Thomas Crown affair. Mm-hmm. Now, there have been no responses to the text, so there will probably be another, not be a, another second date, but <laughs> it made me rewatch the, the, to me, the original Thomas Crown affair, the 1999 version with Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo. And then I had never watched the original, which goes all the way back to 1976 with Stephen Queen and Faye Dunaway, or start oh. 1978. I did not know it was a remake when I watched it in the 90s. So in my accepting that there will never be a second date moment, I was watching both movies. And there are a lot of similarities. There are a lot of differences. And there is something about the 1999 version of the Thomas Crown Affair that was so unique and beautiful. And I am so disappointed it has not been more consistent in movies since. So the Thomas Crown Affair in 1968, starring Steve McQueen and Dunaway, was about a rich guy who's bored and robs a bank or mm-hmm. hires some guys to rob a bank, then ends up with the money. And Faye Dunaway is the insurance investigator who's trying to catch the mastermind cripple. They have a bit of a flirtation. They have a bit of a relationship. And at the end, it does not have a happy end. Steve McQueen is an excellent action movie guy. Mm-hmm. But this movie called for witty repartee, in-jokes, sly smiles, everything that Faye Dunaway was excellent at. But Steve McQueen is a bit more, or was, a bit more plain-smoking, like, brutish is what it is. He's not going to play word games. That's not what that's not his strength. So, the original Thomas Crown affair that I've just recently watched in the last week is much more a classic heist movie. There are elements of romance, there are elements of mystery and sort of this cat and mouse game, but they do not truly come into play because one, the original crime, which is a bank robbery. doesn't really seem to matter to our title character, Thomas Crown, or in this place, played by Steve McQueen, because he doesn't need any money. He just did it because, could I do it? Mm-hmm. It's more like a challenge game. It's a more a game. Whereas in the 1999 version, starring Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo, they take the same base parts from the remake of you know the 1960 movie, which is a rich guy steals something and an insurance investigator investigates him, and they kind of fall in love, maybe, maybe not. They're who's playing who. But in the 1999 version, instead of just stealing, you know, like robbing, hiring guys to rob a bank and getting more money when he already has more money than he needs, because he's you know basically Batman. The 1999 version is he steals a painting that he then returns two days later because he wants to see if he could do it. 
And so you have this entire different narrative of like where 68 was like, I'm stealing stuff because I'm bored and I'm stealing money and that's not really that interesting. It's 99, I'm stealing stuff because I wanna see the challenge. I'm also gonna find the most challenging thing I could steal and see if I can get away with it. Because mm -hmm. I have more money than God. <clears throat> so I really don't need the challenge or the money. I just want to see, can I do it? So he steals his painting. He returns it two days later, painted behind another painting. We don't know that you later. Spoiler alert, sorry. The movie is 23 years old. So if you've not seen it now, or the original from 1968 is 63 years old, 64 years old. So mm -hmm. spoiler alert is not needed. But what really changes the two movies is that in 1968, you had Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway. Amazingly beautiful people, good actors, but Steve McQueen was not... Witty repartee was not his thing. Word games are not his thing. In 1999, you took Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo and, like, pitted them against each other and then gave them a script where wordplay was flirting, was foreplay, was sexuality. And the movie is so, there were, there was like the romance part of 1968, but it seemed forced. It, it felt like both of them were playing the other. It was never real. Mm -hmm. and, this, and this is where it gets weird for me because when I'm on this date and someone mentions the Thomas Crown affair and how, much they loved the romance angle of it. I'm like, yeah, it was amazing. Because the romance in the Thomas Crown affair between Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo and was as much verbal and mental as it was physical. And the entire idea of them being a thief, an investigator, the lines are so blurred. They fall in love. They fall out of love. They trust each other. They don't trust each other. Uh, at one point, Rene Russo is so comfortable on this forbidden island that uh, Thomas Crown or Pierce Brosnan owns that, that she's sunbathing nakedly, which is amazing. And that's <laughs> where... But also, that's where it comes into stark focus that you have... Two people who are so matched, whether they are intelligence or wittiness or attractive, but they're also the same age. Mm -hmm. Pierce Brosnan was 46. Rene Russo was 45. Okay. And I do not know the last time that, and this is the same year that, that Entrapment came out. And I love Entrapment, but Sean Connery was 69. And uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones was 29. Mm -hmm. That's where Hollywood usually goes. Right. These ridiculous, like, May-December, like, romances that make no sense what whatsoever. And here you have two people who are matched not only in wit, not only in intelligence, but in age and are equals. And I think that that is why it's it, it it stuck with me so much when I'm on this this date and somebody mentions it who, and we are the same age. We're going through this whole like trying to figure out each other. To make a movie where you have two people who are incredibly intelligent are playing mind games with each other, 
who are attractive beyond all all but are also the same age and are contemporaries and they are on level ground and I think that is the beauty of the Thomas Crown Affair in the remake the first one is just a heist movie Steve McQueen is just trying to get away Fade is trying to catch him there is there is no chemistry there's chemistry but there's not like any connection Mm-hmm. Thomas Crown Affair, like halfway through the movie, you don't even give a flip about any of the paintings that have been stolen. Right? You just want this relationship to work because it is so intense and they are so real and so connected. And that's what makes the twists and the turns of the movie so much harder to take because you're invested. You see these two beautiful, amazing, intelligent people who are matched in the same age and feel like they are two sides of the same coin. And maybe maybe they're too similar. And I'm going to spoil the end. And I think that John McTerney, who was the director of the movie, tried a little too hard to stretch out the ending mm-hmm. because there's the natural ending where, again, spoiling the entire movie. Spoiler alert. If you've not seen it. Thomas Crown comes to, uh, so Pierce Brosnan comes to Rene Russo's character. And he's like, hey, I know you've been searching for this painting. And I'm going to return it to the museum tomorrow. And then I'm going to be at a helicopter pad at 4 p.m. And you can come with me or you cannot. You can call the police and tell them that I'm returning it. And try to stop me if you want. And Rene Russo, who's caught in this sort of, like, I love this guy, but I'm also, like, an investigator, and I'm also working with the police. And then Dennis Leary, who, this is the most understated Dennis Leary performance of his life. He's just playing, like, this good cop. He was, like, kind of, like, mad, but also, like, he plays, like, the, the good guy friend the entire time and does a really good job as the understated cop guy, which was not what you would expect from Dennis Leary, but he does a great job. He's very, very young Dennis Leary. He's 1999, so he's before he does any of the, uh, oh, what was the series he was in? But it was after he but, all of his... Uh, uh, Rescue Me. Rescue Me, yeah. It was before Rescue Me, but it was after like his comedy albums where uh, he has an entire song called I'm an Asshole, uh, oh. which unironically my ex-wife played for me on like our third date so it should have been a sign uh, <laughs> should have seen something coming uh because i'm an asshole uh but he does a really great job and they have this this moment where he tells her i'm going to return the painting that we've been searching for through the entire movie this is like two-thirds of the way through the movie and he's like i am going to return it because then we'll be free and you and i can run away together and I'm going to be at the helicopter pad on Wall Street at 4 p.m. And you can either tell them that I'm returning it and try to catch me, or you can meet me at the helipad. And she's conflicted because she wants to do the right thing. And she actually doesn't trust this guy because he's a he's a womanizer. And does she really love, does he, is he playing me? Does he really love me? And she does what I think anyone would do. And she turns him into the cops and says, hey, he's going to try to return the pain. And in a, because it is so well written and so well done, you don't see it coming. And you feel like you should have. 
because this entire movie is about misdirection and people misunderstanding and thinking they know what's going on. And the whole heist happens, but it doesn't actually happen because the painting never left the building or it was returned two days after. And so Pierce Brodson's character, Thomas Crown, like wedges a, his cane in a thing so you can't get the door closed to protect the painting and the fire alarms go off and the painting that he had donated to the museum two days after the theft turns out to be the actual painting that he had stolen a fake veneer of watercolor over the top. And then he steals another painting while it's all going. And now Rene Russo is like, ah, I'm so mad because he told me he put it back and he put it back, but he still stole, stole something else. And then she runs to meet him. And I think that a better ending, and this is, I do not make movies. I don't have enough money and or cachet to do so. But I feel like a better ending would have been to pay it, play it off right there. Like she's going to meet him with the helipad. They'll go away together. But I think McTierney knew that we were all expecting. Mm-hmm. So she runs to the helipad and he's not there. There's a guy there in a bowler hat who gives her a painting, which is the other painting that he stole. And he, she takes it and returns it to police and everything. And she's like, my life is over. Everything is done. I'm going to like go away. I'm going to pick the place that I would run away to if I ran away, which they talked about earlier in a like pillow talk moment where it just proves that this entire time he's been listening and, and valuing what she says. So she gets on the plane, leaving her life behind, distraught that her lover, Thomas Crown, didn't show up and he doesn't care. And then she's crying. And he, so all of a sudden, a hand reaches over the chair, gives her a, a, a Kleenex. And in a Scottish accent, because they talked about using different accents, he says, don't cry. And somehow, I wondered it, so I feel like the traditional Hollywood ending would have been on that helicopter pad where they like embrace, they kiss, they get on the helicopter, they ride off into the sunset. In a way, this is so much better. Because... And this is, this is a weird thing about relationships that I, that I am still learning. But he said, this is how things are going to go. You'll go there. I'll meet you with the helicopter pad. And then even though she showed up at the helicopter pad, he wasn't there. But what he was really listening to is that the helicopter pad and that escape mm-hmm. wasn't her dream. Her dream was to go on the plane to this one place when she, like he's asked her, where, where would you go when you, when you wanted to go get away from everything? And so by showing up on the plane, he proved that he's been listening and he wanted this to be her choice, not what he asked her to do. And to me, the the romance of that moment where he said, I'm going to listen to what your dream was and I'm going to, yeah, I'd love to have the money to just like buy a ticket on every plane to wherever and write on it because the person I think that I love is, is going to that place. 
But the fact that he said, like, if she shows up the, at the helicopter park, it's not her choice. But if I show up where sh- her dream is going, then that means more. And in that moment, it told talked to me about like this is romance on a different level because romance is so much more about listening mm-hmm. and caring about what they want and what the person that you care about wants than it is about what you want or you plan. And everything I've like I've looked, I've read bo- stories about both movies. I've watched both movies in the last week. And to me, the number one thing that separates the 2019 version from the 1968 version is this adult understanding of love and relationships. Whereas, yeah, he's a billionaire. He could just say, meet me on the helipad and come with me. But then she would also, she would always question whether it was her choice or not. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't go to the helipad. He meets her on the plane going to where her dream is and says, I'm coming with you. That's why I think that Thomas Crown Affair may be the most romantic and ridiculous, but also encouraging movie that I have ever seen. And it's really, really nice that the two stars are similar ages because that never happens has not happened before and it was not a 90s thing it has certainly not happened in the last 23 years and it creates this amazing love story and exceptional performances from both Pierce Brosnan and Renee Russo uh and I was like how has this not been remade so then I'm going through various internet links and in 2016 and this, this hurts me that it has not happened. This, this makes me, I want this to happen. Mm-hmm. I did not know it was a thing until two days ago. And I've now read the article and it is six years old and it has not happened and I'm angry. But right after Creed was a huge hit, the next project that Michael B. Jordan was linked with was a remake of the Thomas Crown Affair. With him oh. as the lead. And the idea was to have a more representative, like to have him as the lead, but also have a African-American female as the lead mm-hmm. and have a true romance. And, and I, this is not something that I understood until I was reading articles that talked about whether this movie was going to be made. And how rare it is for, and I looked back and I cannot really remember, in a major like blockbuster movie to have a black man and a black woman in a rom- romantic relationship. There have been like mixed relationships, mm-hmm. but rarely, especially on a level of where like this is all about sensuality it's about like attractiveness it's about the wit and the flirtation of two incredible people Mm -hmm. that is not something that happens or has happened very much 
and it should. And I, that's why I'm, I'm very disappointed it is not because I think that Michael B. Jordan would be an amazing lead. And there are so many African-American actresses that could be his foil in that role. And I don't, I guess it's, it's more that I feel bad that I've never considered that that is a missing port of entertainment. But it clearly is because even if you have a like male, like a black male lead, they're often cast with a white woman or Eva Mendez, who like was like the stand-in for for every like gender for or for every ethnicity for years. Mm-hmm. And I do not think that is fair. And I think hope I hope I think that he would be so good in this role. Like it would be. And it would challenge him in a different way than he's been given any other roles. Like to be like, he's always debonair. He's always smooth. He's a, but to never have the action or violence aspect of it be around, Mm -hmm. I think would be really, really cool to see. And I, I implore Hollywood. I mean, I hope that they were returned to it. Because I think there is a really good opportunity there. And I think it's a great story. I love how the 99 version improved on 68. And I think that the 2019, 2014, 2022, like, what are we at? 2023 now? Like, any of those versions could improve on 99. And it would be, it's a great source material. And I wish that someone would explore it. And I think that that is the way, the next step that would improve the story. Nice. So yeah, um, if you go on a date with me, it's probably going to turn into an A-side. So (laughs) sorry about that. Oh my gosh. I mean, I I like to, I like to cut cut open a vein here. So like this, this is, this is where I, I talk about this. I'm not supposed to. So, (laughs) oh man um i did not realize that the thomas crown fair was uh, a remake either i have seen the 90s version i have not seen the original version with steve mcqueen um dude they are so sexy steve mcqueen no well steve mcqueen and faye dunaway are very sexy but pierce brosnan and renee russo yes like like i have to stop and like go get some water (laughs) especially when she was sunday like i'm getting like dehydrated you're all verklempt verklempt verklempt, yeah oh man oh but i have like i said i have seen the 90s version haven't seen the original and i do think i agree with you i think that um michael b jordan would be a a really good i think it would be a good challenge for him because he typically does the actiony stuff i mean i think he's tried to do some drama there was um notes from jordan i think it was called or something like that but i don't know that it did that well so it would be an interesting uh take for him and so like the 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 person who was uh and this uh, the article i found is from 2006 so clearly like this was after his big like kind of breaking into stuff as uh creed Mm-hmm. And the co-star that was mentioned in this article, give me I'm trying to get to, was 
Tayana Paris. Who? Let's see, she was in uh, Empire. If Beale Street could talk. Oh, it's Monica Rambo from Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, okay. So, like before she was that, she was she was mentioned as like the. In, in this article, at least, like somebody who would be a great, like, sort of foil to him. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Hmm. I just feel like there needs to be, I love one, there needs to be more representation of people who are the same age falling mm-hmm. in love in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you got jackasses like me who think they could be. Sean Connery and be 69 and date a 29 year old. That's not good. Uh, we don't need we don't need more of that. We need less of that. <laughs> more representations of like people who are within two years of each other having a relationship would be good, in my opinion. And also, I think if they're taking this sort of universal story, that we need a new version that also encompasses more people. Like we've we've showed Steve McQueen, Faye Dunaway. You know, Pierce Bros and Rene Russo, we need to diversify that palette a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it's a great story that can be retold and I think would work again. I am trying to think, like you mentioned, I don't, I can't think of any major blockbusters action wise anyway, where the both leads are African American. Yeah. Um, I mean, like in, in like uh, Independence Day, you had. Um, Will Smith and Vivica Fox, but they were like minor characters. Yeah, I mean, Will Smith wasn't a minor character, but I think their relationship was like it was kind of like the, the, yeah, their yeah, their yeah. relationship was not the the foremost. Right. It, it is it is high time that, and I I think one of the the cool things about this era that we're in where we have so many streaming options is that we're getting more and more diversity, but also there is less eyes on it because there's so much out there. Mm-hmm. Like the new, the new wonder years where Dulé Hill plays the, the father mm-hmm. where they've kind of like, um, so good. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, so good. And I love how they're like, they're taking this sort of established staple Mm-hmm. but reminding us that there are more sides to the story mm-hmm. and that is absolutely new. i mean i i know that like top gun is all the all the shit right now i have not seen it i am not super excited to see it. i know i'm a bad person i get it people like top gun uh i really don't need to see another tom cruise is the hero movie although Jennifer Connelly's in it, and I really need to see more Jen- Jennifer Connelly in my life. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna cave at some point. <laughs> well, I, and the reviews have been really good, although it might get pulled. So, like, have you, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it yet. I was gonna go see it yesterday. The theater was like packed because it's five dollar Tuesdays, and then yeah, um, the the family that owns the rights to it are suing and they're trying to get it oh really so yeah they have the copyright and the so it was licensed through 2020 
um, and the licensing ran out in 2020. And so the and family they, that has the copyright is suing and they want it pulled from theaters. Or give us all the monies. Exactly. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't need to see Tom Cruise as another hero. And I certainly don't need to see the world's most overrated white male actor, Miles Teller, as a hero. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry, not good. He's not been good in anything. Like, so he threw on a mustache for this movie and he's got some abs and people are like, he's good again. I'm like, the dude's not a good actor. I don't know how he keeps getting stuff, but he's not good. Oh my gosh. Are you laughing? Are you a huge Miles Teller guy? No, I could not care about him in the slightest. Nobody cares. He's not good at his job. Like he is the equivalent. Like I'm gonna, I'm just probably getting in trouble here. He is the epitome of the sales guy that does just enough to keep his job. Mm. And we all know that guy, and we all hate that guy. <laughs> Miles Teller is the sales guy we all love to hate. Also, Angelina Jolie, I love you. This is Angelina Jolie podcast. It is. So come at me, Miles Teller fans. Oh, man. All right. So is that the A side? That's the A side. I've offended like so many people. We should stop that. (laughs) So while you might not like Miles Teller, (laughs) I think you're going to like. Yeah. (laughs) Was was that obvious? I don't know. I'm just, I'm a big fan of Angelina Jolie. I think you're going to like this guy even less. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. His name is Johan. Un- okay. Unterwenger. He's Austrian, and I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Unter- Unterwenger. He, his nickname is Jack. Um, so Jack was born in August of uh, August 16th of 1958 in uh, Judenberg, Stryria, Austria. He was born to Theresia, who was a Viennese barmaid and waitress, and Jack Becker, who was an American soldier that she had met in Trieste, Italy. Some reports say that Theresia was a sex worker as well. So Jack's mom was um, jailed for fraud while she was pregnant with him. And once uh, she was released, she traveled to Graz, where Jack was born, Johan. Well, his mom's arrested again. Now he's, he's born in 1950 and his mom is arrested again in 1953. So then he was sent to Carinthia uh, to live with his grandfather, who was known as a, quote, rough fellow jack used to help his uh grandfather steal animals farm animals what's up with stealing farm animals like this is not the first that we've heard of this well i feel like they're very expensive to buy i have not bought a farm animal but i've bought a lot of squishmallows and they're also expensive <laughs> so jack was like if, if, if my neighbor had a squishmallow i might steal it uh-huh so Jack's in and out of prison. Um, I guess like mother likes him. He's in and out of prison a lot as a younger man. 
between 1966 and 1978, he works as a server and he's convicted 16 different times for theft-related offenses, mostly. But there was a little bit of pimping and sex assaults in there as well. Yeah. Just, just, just a little bit of pimping. We just threw that a little in. pimping. You know, it's, it's like the some, salt. Yeah, just sprinkle in some pimping. Sprinkle in a little bit of pimping. He, he also assaulted a sex worker. So he spent most of those years in jail. He was quoted as saying, I wielded my steel rod among the prostitutes of Hamburg, Munich, and Marseille. I had enemies and I conquered them through my inner hatred. He's a real positive peach right there. I mean, that's, yeah, sounds like a manifesto of a lot of people who've been shooting up schools. So in, okay, now remember from 66 to 74, he's in and out for mostly theft, a little pimping, sprinkling some pimping and a sexual assault. In 1974, he ups his ante and he murders 18 year old West German national, Margaret Schaefer. He strangles Margaret using her own bra. He is found and convicted in 1976, he's sentenced to life in prison. At the trial, he claims to have seen his mother's face as he was strangling Margaret. Uh, I'm guessing he was probably, this is my personal guess, he was probably trying to garner sympathy since his mother had left him at such a young age. Fair, yeah. So while he's in prison, he starts to write. You know, we've talked about this before in prison lots of people take up hobbies he's he's got a hobby he starts writing short stories poems and plays he even wrote an autobiography called purgatory or the trip to prison report of a guilty man that actually i feel like i feel like prison is like what all of us went through during quarantine like we're baking bread we're like making puzzles all the time we're like writing letters just imagine that for like 30 years Except we didn't have guards. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> so this book, this autobiography, actually served as the basis for a documentary later. There has been some dispute on whether uh, Johann Jack actually wrote this or not. Some people are saying that it was written by um, Austrian playwright, novelist, and Nobel Prize winner, Alfredi Jelinek. No, oh, obviously. I mean, we've all been accused of having an Austrian playwright, novelist, write our books. <laughs> so the book was actually um, praised by Nobel Prize winners. And this was a big deal because, well, Jack was illiterate when he entered prison. Now he goes into prison illiterate and he starts writing short stories, poems, plays, which plays into the theory that maybe he didn't actually write this. I mean, I've, I've read a lot of books from people who I thought who were literate as well. So. <laughs> so his book, The End Stationed Zucht House, which is Terminal Prison, won a literary award in 1984. And he was actually awarded or celebrated by Austria's elite, okay? 
So Come on, he, Austria is late. No. He, he he writes, you know, like I said, he goes in 76, he goes in illiterate, learns how to read, how to write, starts writing these magnificent pieces, wins an award in 84. Well, in 85, a campaign began to pardon and release Unterwenger from prison. They were wanting to have him declared an artist and a rehabbed man. Okay, you'll get, like, being declared an artist doesn't mean you are not viable for your crimes, uh-huh. is it? Because if it is, then I evidently had the right undergraduate degree. I, I wouldn't think so, but, I mean... I, it was like, like, you can't be like, no, 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 he killed five people, but, but he's, he's an, an artist. artiste. Oh, that's fine, that's, that's fine, well... It was for art. Well, I mean, you know, they died in a good way. He's an artiste. He's 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 a great man. <laughs> so Austrian President Rudolf Kirschlager uh, initially refused the petition when it was presented him. He cited the court mandated minimum fifteen years in prison. Well, it's like I will not sign this until everyone lets me play their reindeer games. <laughs> so, um. There were a bunch of people. There was journalists, politicians, artists, writers, and they're all like pleading for a pardon, including this Alfre Jemelik, who was, you know, behind there, there was that conspiracy that he actually wrote the book. Mm-hmm. He was actually one of the people that was like, come on, come on. He, he deserves a pardon. And Gunter Grass, who was another uh, Nobel Prize winning author, Goodness. also in on this campaign was Alfred Kohler uh, who was the editor of the magazine called Manuscripte. A statement signed by supporters of his release said that Austrian justice will be measured by the Unterwenger case. People really wanted to believe in rehab and second chances. Also, he was famous and they didn't want a famous guy to die. In prison. So five years later, the campaign worked and Unterwinger is released May 23rd of 1990. But this was after his minimum 15 year prison term. Upon his release, the warden said, we will never find a prisoner so well prepared for freedom. Okay. Is he gonna eat his words? We shall see. Foreshadowing. Well, once he was released, his autobiography started being taught in Austrian schools and his stories for children were actually performed on Austrian radio. Jack Unterwinger himself hosted television programs which talked about criminal rehabilitation and he worked as a reporter uh, for the public broadcaster ORF where he reported on stories concerning um, murders. So he's like, uh, well, you know, Bob and Jen, I'm here at the murder event. And uh, if I would have killed this person, I would have done it this way. But it appears that this person did not follow my advice and they left print at the scene. So we'll catch them soon. No, well, well, you might be on a little bit of something. So as he's reporting, he's like, hey, Jack and Janet, if I were the murderer, I would have done it this way. Oh, it appears the murderer has done it this way. Foreshadowing. Yes. He's reporting from his own murders. <laughs> so 
<clears throat> what is this? This is like a 90s soap opera. Somebody's going to be possessed by a devil by the end of it. So, so Jack Unterwinger, like I said, he's reporting, you know, he's working for a public broadcaster and he's traveling all over the place, including to the United States. And while he was reporting in the U.S., he even stayed at the infamous Cecil Hotel. Now, we've mentioned the Cecil Hotel once before, and there's Mm -hmm. a Netflix documentary about it. Like, so many murderers stayed there. It's, like, wild. It's wild how many murderers actually stayed at the Cecil. It's like the Airbnb of psychopaths. It's like they all pass a business card to each other. I'm like, hey, dude, they give great discounts to serial killers. But like, but like sometimes like, and I'm going off a little bit off the rails here, but like when there is a source of great evil, great evil is drawn to that source. Yeah. And they, they were drawn. Let me tell you. So Unterwinger had people so snowed that even the LAPD let him do a ride along. So law enforcement ends up finding out that, um, well, Unterwinger not as rehabbed as they once believed because they were able to connect him to the death of Blanca Bovoka in Czechoslovakia and, well, multiple others. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Brunhilde Masser, who is 39, uh, Heidi Hammerer, Alfredi Schrimpf yeah. and, and Sylvia Zagler, along with Sabine Moitzel, Karen Aruglu Sladki, and Regina Prem. And this all happened in the first year of his release in 1990. They were all strangled with what? Oh, do you remember in 1974 when he killed Margaret Schaefer? He used her bra. They were all killed the same way. That's a weird coincidence. I'm sure it can't be connected. Mm -hmm. In 1991, before it's discovered and he's connected to these crimes, uh, Jack Unterwinger was hired by an Austrian magazine to write about crime in Los Angeles and the difference between the attitudes in the U.S. and Europe to sex work. During his time in L.A., imagine this, three sex workers, Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez and Peggy Booth were all beaten, sexually assaulted with tree branches, and strangled with what, Adam? Can you guess? Uh, their own bra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we go back to the sexually assaulted with tree branches? That, that is not something I misheard. No, it's not, unfortunately. I don't need to hear it again. Yeah. So police begin to get suspicious of Unterfinger, and he leaves the U.S. He flees to Switzerland, and then he goes to Paris. Then he comes back to the U.S. to Miami, which we're going to talk about in a second. So in Austria, Jack is suggested as a suspect for the murders of these sex workers mm-hmm. because, well, there's nobody else to suspect. Right, and it's his M.O., Right. So police are really looking hard at him and they put him under surveillance until he goes to um, the U.S. Police in Graz, remember his mom had gone to Graz when um, she got out of prison and that's where he was born. So Mm -hmm. police in Graz were able to finally get enough evidence to arrest Unterwinger. But by the time they get to his house, he's gone. 
He gone. He gone. So again, he flees all the different countries and he's arrested. Like I said, he ends up in Miami and that's where he's arrested along with his girlfriend, Bianca. Like, okay. In a way, this kind of like the Thomas Crown affair because there's all the traveling and stuff. It's like the Thomas Crown murder affair in a way. Like, it's just, he's all over the place. Yeah, but like also like he ain't Pierce Brosnan. No, no, he ain't. Not at all. He ain't. She ain't Renee Renee Russo. Like Mm -mm. I would, I would commit murder for probably either of them. Maybe both. (laughs) So U.S. Marshals arrest Jack Unterwinger in Miami on January, excuse me, on February 27th of 1992. While he was still on the run, he calls the Austrian media to try to convince them of his innocence. He's like, Look, you see, I wrote these books. I've talked about criminal reform. I am a changed man. Um, but police, get this. Mm-hmm. His own narcissism works against him because police are able to lure him out of hiding because they pretend to be reporters from Success Magazine. And they tell him that they want to pay him $10,000 for his story. He takes the bait and he's taken down by U.S. Marshals. He's extradited back to Austria on May 27th of 1992 and charged with 11 murders, including one in Prague, three in LA. Jury finds him guilty of nine um, by a majority because it's not like here where it has to be, you know, all or nothing. Yeah, Um, different constitution, different rules of engagement. Right. Under Austrian law at the time, the majority, it was a 6-2 majority and that was enough. So, of course, once he's convicted, he gets an examination by a psychiatrist, Dr. Reinhard Haller, and he diagnoses him with narcissistic personality disorder, which we could have told you that by the fact that he wanted to tell his story while he was on the run for $10,000. Like, yeah, he wouldn't I, be on TV. I mean, come on. I don't have a medical degree, but if he's lured out by $10,000 while on the run, he's probably a narcissist. My opinion backed by the fact that he was diagnosed um he presents his findings to the court on june 20th of 1994 and on june 29th of the same year he's sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole well that very night not wanting to spend the rest of his life in prison jack unterfinger commits suicide at the Graz carlisle prison he takes his life by making a rope from shoelaces and the cord of the trousers of his tracksuit. He uses the exact Wait, same- Wait, what year was this? 94. And maybe over there, they were allowed to have these things. Maybe not anymore. I know here you can't have- Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, like 30 years later, you don't, you don't get- Yeah. They, they figured out, like, we can't give you anything. Right. So. so get this, though. He uses the same knot on himself- that he had used on all of his murder victims. So either it was a confession knot or it was, I only know know one knot. Or both. But a bit of both probably. One unnamed Austrian politician stated it was his quote, best murder. When Unterwinger was arrested. He's not wrong, but he's, (laughs) But it's still wrong. Like, That's probably why he was like, look, I'm going to tell you this, but don't use my name. Yeah, he's like, unnamed politician. It was like, he finally killed somebody he should have killed. Right. 
he took out the one he was supposed to take out. But don't use yeah. my name when you say that. Yeah. I'd rather he just rotted in jail and hog for like ever. When Hague, um, Hague? is the hag or the hog? The hag? I think it's the hag. I, I have an imaginary person called the hog where it's just, it's way worse. <laughs> when Jack was first arrested, uh, he, he told them, I cannot bear to go back to a cell. Before his death, he had said that he intended to appeal. Um, under Austrian law, his guilty verdict was not considered legally binding after his death as it had not been reviewed and confirmed by court. Well, that's just silly. Was he going to come back and be like, ah, peck, oops, not legally binding. Yeah. Over the course of his life, Jack seduced many women and he was known as Casanova. And well, currently many of his ex-lovers are still convinced that he was innocent. And one of his most vocal advocates, his attorney, Astrid Wagner. Sorry, guys. There, there's, there's no dick that good. Stop it. What you said. What you said. He had the same knot in his rope that all of his Also, apologizes had. to both of my moms for your mom and my mom for me saying that because they had to hear it. <laughs> I mean, but it's true. It's true. I, look, my mom will go, whoop, and then she'll go, true. <laughs> she'll go, mm, but true. <laughs> <laughs> and then she'll call me and say did you hear what he said but he's right i can't, I, I can't believe i would say that. <laughs> i'm a little guy like how did you let him say that <laughs> but um, how did you edit that out <laughs> uh, no but i just think that the fact that he was going to appeal and so his guilty verdict's not considered binding like what well i mean that's that's The legal system is fraught with peril. And I think one of the most frustrating parts of is that it doesn't make sense, no matter what side you are really on. There's so many rules, there's so many, there's so much minutiae. There are these if but that, then this. And legitimately, I don't think anybody understands. I will say, though, that I do think one justice was served because he was arrested. He was convicted, even though, you know, he took his own life and it's considered not legally binding. Had he still lived, he wasn't he getting out. Killing. Yeah, no, he was. It was and they caught him. Right. He was going to keep killing. That's killing. the only thing that matters. They stopped him. They killing. stopped him. Right. Because yeah. he was not going to get back out. But and I also think that, you know, European, we've talked about this too, but like the European justice machine moves so much faster. Yeah. Well, we we have we have a lot of layers and minutiae. We've got like district courts and county courts and like, you know, the, there are so many steps you can go to get to the Supreme Court, but we have all these steps and I don't think that is and perhaps this is my Navate talking, but I don't think that is common in other countries mm-hmm. where you get to, to just keep trying for like six times if you can like appeal to some vague part of the constitution. Right. And you don't have, and like it doesn't even have to make sense. You can, you can like appeal to this part of the constitution that doesn't fit your case at all, but you can keep appealing mm-hmm. because you're 
using that as the excuse. And then you guess it's pure. They're like, no, this is not a thing. But you can just prolong the, you can like literally kick the can down the road for decades. Yeah. Because of our system. And that is problematic. And again, I guess sometimes there's also like the flip side where we like find out that someone who has been appealing this whole time, we find new evidence and they've they've been innocent the whole time. So it's good that we have the process. It is, but then it's in cases like this, you're like, just get it over. Which like they were like, boom, bam, you know, he's arrested in May in June, he's already in court. And then June he's convicted, you know, there's no waiting. Whereas that is, that is quick. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, like here, if you get a misdemeanor, it's like, oh, we'll see you in six months for your first hearing. Then another six months after that. And then uh, if you want to pay your fine of $100, it'll be two years from now. <laughs> right. And, you could, and there'll probably be a bunch of fees we tack on to that because just hold on it's been to two that. years. Yeah. Just build it up. You know yeah. what? Just keep putting it in savings. Keep adding to it because you're going to need it. Because like if you want to just pay the thing, you just pay the thing because it's not finished yet. So you got to you gotta wait. So. The, the U.S. justice system has its benefits and its negatives. And so. it definitely has its pros and cons. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. As, as anything. J- just like a podcast about Angelina Jolie. We have our, <laughs> we have our good days. We have our bad days. <laughs> but we keep on keeping on. Oh, my gosh. But Focusing on that, that North Star. <laughs> but that is the B-side. That is the story of the serial killer who convinced everyone that he was rehabbed because he may or may not have written a book and uh, got out and did it all over again. Uh, and moms, ear- earmuffs, fuck <laughs> that guy. <laughs> extremely, extremely. That's really frustrating. Like the guy does all the crimes, then he gets a whole like media career, does more crimes. But in the middle, you got this like nice donut of celebrity, which is not okay. No. And the fact that like, I just find it so creepy that he comes to the U.S. He's like reporting on the murders that he committed and doing ride-alongs. Like the the dude, like, again, sorry, mom. The balls on this dude. Right? Like the audacity. Like how, and I don't understand the physical reactions to murder as a psychopath but was he just like riding around super happy and turned on about like nobody knows it's me Uh, or maybe the thrill of like i'm getting away with this yeah this is like some joker shit like if joker was rewritten for modern television joker would be like a psycho killer who somehow becomes a tv pundit and is still killing people and goes on the ride along and is like, I don't know who's killing these people. <laughs> and that, it's like, you know, like when you see the movie and you're like, oh, this part's really good. He's probably like, oh, oh that body's really going to be great. Up here. <laughs> like, you know, like. He's like, oh, did you get the side? Like, pan the camera that way, I think. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I'm guessing you might I'm find guessing. something over there. It's not uh-huh. me, but if it was me, that's where I'd put the body. Exactly. <sighs> so messed up. It's we, we make fun because we're trying to deal with the. You laugh or cry in situations like this. And, yes. you know, I mean, and, there, and there's, there, there's been so much just stuff over the last month that is not fun to talk right. about. Right. And, and, and you will never, ever find us making fun of a victim, making fun of these jackass serial killers. Absolutely. Because they're yeah. disgusting people. <sighs> Sorry, moms for cursing. But Adam said much worse than me. 
I did. I did. Moms, you, you can yell at me. I started it. I kind of led us down this path of vulgarity, uh, which I always do, to be fair. Uh, grown adults, and we're like, sorry, yeah. mom. We're apologizing to their moms. But I mean, I feel like that is a good sign in Very a way. Respectful. Also, could be terrifying. <laughs> but but at least it, it just points out the fact that we know our moms listen. Yes. We also have many other listeners besides our moms, which Sorry, is really nice. Other people's moms, if you're offended too. Well, yes, everyone's moms and everyone's not moms, like just like <laughs> random children who decided to listen to this podcast. I apologize. That was why did you listen to this? It was clearly rated 14 plus. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, we thank you so much, whether you're you're our moms or not. Uh, it is the highlight one of the highlights of my week when i get to log in and see how many downloads we've had how many people are are listening to our podcast and it has been consistently encouraging and fun and i cannot thank you all enough for listening because it is a good bright spot in my week to get to talk with brooke for three hours um she's not contractually obligated to do this but as long as the podcast is still doing, she still has to talk to me. So this is great. Um, thank you for that, listeners. Uh, if you have just stumbled upon the podcast and you're like, what is happening? What am I doing here? Uh, this is a podcast that talks about true crime and also media. And if you'd like to subscribe to it, go to our website, asidebsidepodcast.com or asidebsidesquare.space. Square.site. You were close. Square.site. Podcast.com. that one's working uh and subscribe we are on all of your favorite streaming platforms uh spotify itunes stitcher anchor all of the stuff um it means the world that you listen like share uh you can follow us on all the social medias instagram facebook um tiktok uh our myspace is in progress um if you want to buy us a coffee, mm-hmm. not me specifically, because I don't drink coffee, it's horrible. Uh, I sound like I drink all of the coffee, like espresso, just baselining it before we start, but I don't. Brooke has to drink coffee to deal with all of my baselining of caffeine. So if you want to buy her a coffee, go to buy us a coffee, asidebsidepodcast.com. I go to our website, you can get all of the merch. Um, we also have a YouTube station if you like sometimes youtube is actually easier you go there and if you've got a youtube premium account you can let it play in the background and it works better than some of the apps because youtube is super cool about you opening up other stuff so that's an option if you uh, ever get distracted by the fact that like you want to listen but you also like want to check your email and do all that stuff so youtube is an option um and yeah thank you brooke for um putting up with me and uh, i apologize to both of our mothers for swearing and thank you, random person I went on a first date with for giving me an entire A-side tonight. <laughs> because, ironically, that is probably the top 10 best first dates. Oh, wow. Well, well, maybe you'll still hear from her. You don't know. It's been five days. That's not it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yes, like Adam said, you can buy us a coffee at Pizza. Buy me a coffee.a.com. I can't even get it out. Um, <laughs> okay, neither can I. Wow. Okay. Yes. A-side, B-side, um, podcast.square.site. Buy me a coffee.com slash A-side, B-side pod. Or directly go to Scooters and you could just send a gift card. 
because like scooters is quite the bomb i take starbucks too you know whatever yeah there you go um you can always email us a side b side podcasts at gmail.com and this was number 96 thanks adam thank you brooke